D.C. Oh, yeah, a whole, whole bunch. Okay. Now, did you guys see the Washington Monument while you were there? Okay. Oh, well, not everybody, but a lot, most. Okay. So for any of you that haven't seen it in person, I'm, sh- I'm sure that you've seen pictures of it in, in books or, uh, or on TV. And it was built, of course, to remember uh, and to honor one of my favorite heroes from history, the father of our country, George Washington, the commander who led the Continental Armies to victory over Great Britain in the American War for Independence, which ended in 1783, and who was then unanimously elected as our first president, the first president of the United States in 1789. Uh, And the monument, his monument, was created as an enduring and tangible show of gratitude to Washington for all of his accomplishments on behalf of the nation. And even though it's had a few repairs, a few cracks over the years, uh, it was built to last. It's a a permanent memorial in marble. And that's what the world does for our military heroes, right? We we build them memorials meant to last, uh, meant to last through generations. Memorials made of indestructible materials and surrounded by dignified railings as a perpetual reminder of the great things that they've accomplished for us. And you know, that idea, uh, kind of as I said at the very beginning this morning, uh, is no stranger to the Word of God because the concept of memorials and of marking out sacred boundaries and of actively remembering the mighty deeds of the past appears over and over and over again in Scripture. Uh, And really few biblical texts utilize that motif more than the book of Psalms, as we've seen as we've gone through it. And I really want to show you that today from uh, our psalm for the day, which is Psalm 68. Now, this one is a little longer, I think, than any of the other ones that we've read. Uh, But it has a fantastic message, and I hope that you'll join me there. So we'll be looking at Psalm 68, and superscribed to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. And he writes, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, and they shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The Lord settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your peoples, when you marched through the deserts, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoils, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions in shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings, they are let snow fall in Zalman. O mountains of God, mountains of Bashan, O many peaked mountains, mountains of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount of God, desire for his abode, 
Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands, and the Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascend on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed is the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. If you remember, Selah means stop and think about what we've read. And we talked before about uh, when you're reading in the Psalms and in the Old Testament, when we see that word salvation, that's the same name that Mary gave to her firstborn son. So we could read that as God is our Jesus. Uh, Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs deliverance from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O Lord, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain, There is Benjamin, the least of them, in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the people. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Noble shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people, blessed be God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So we're, we're back today looking at a psalm that we uh, know was, was undoubtedly written by Israel's greatest king, King David. And in looking at this psalm, most commentaries and commenters, commentators believe uh, it was inspired uh, and connected with the coming of the Ark of the Covenant into Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, But not just that, but also celebrating the faithfulness of God in giving Israel victory over her enemies and securing her borders and through that, making Jerusalem secure enough to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city, uh, establishing it as a a fixed point, as a, a holy...
Okay, how's that? Yay. So anyway, what I was saying was... My earpiece. Oh, thank you. See, I need my wife to dress me, too. How about that? Okay, thank you. So anyway... So the psalm really is, is talking about the Ark of the Covenant coming into uh, the city of, of Jerusalem and, and staying there as, as a fixed point and a holy monument to the kingship of God. And so for these people, having well-controlled borders really mattered. Uh, landmarks and sacred boundaries mattered. They mattered the same way that, that hallowed ground and those blessed bounds that stretch for us from sea to shining sea have always mattered to this great nation of ours uh, and to the men and women who, as, as I was telling my little guy there, have lived and fought and bled and died uh, to defend them from a whole host of, of foreign enemies over these last 243 years. And we have been incredibly blessed, haven't we? Uh, and we have been safe and we have been prosperous as a nation, so much so that honestly we really have little to fear from uh, forces outside of the country that oppose us or uh, from those who would invade our sovereignty. But unfortunately, our greatest threat now seems to be coming from our own citizens who are hell-bent on removing the religious and ethical landmarks of the past and, and, and pulling down the founding principles and the ancient boundaries on which America was created. Uh, and doing it with, uh, with no respect for objective truth. Uh, with no reverence for the sacrifices of our forefathers and no regard for the effort it took to provide the canopy of freedom under which they now live. Uh, and you know, that was really David's point in Psalm 68 today, reminding his people not to become forgetful of what they've received and of the debt of love that they owe to God and to one another. That's why we read, uh, David wrote, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered uh, and those who hate him shall flee before him. Because God is the father of the fatherless, the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home, and he leads out prisoners to prosperity. And, and you can almost think maybe he's echoing uh, the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, reminding the people that it was God who provided them uh, a, a land with large, prosperous cities that they didn't build with houses richly stocked with goods that they didn't produce. Telling the people they'll draw water from cisterns they didn't dig and eat from vineyards and olive trees that they didn't plant. And warning them that when they have eaten their fill in the land, be careful not to forget the Lord. Because as I said, you know, this, this theme of remembering and forgetting is found again and again in Scripture. And it serves as a reminder to us on this Remembrance Sunday not to forget from whom all blessings flow or ignore the sacrifices of those who have gone before us. Because, you know, in, in one way or another, all of us, we are all constantly drinking from wells that we didn't dig. Think about it, like when you and I are treated in hospitals and medical institutions that we didn't build. Uh, or when we worship in places like this church that folks, uh, some still here, but many long past, have passed down to us debt-free. Uh, or when we attend schools that other folks have founded. When we benefit from medical research in which someone else's illness was instructive in treating ours, and especially when we live in a nation founded on principles of liberty that men and women have given their lives for. 
And I think it was uh, Thomas Jefferson who said, the temptation is for us to enjoy the fruits of citizenship without tending the tree of liberty. The temptation for us is to enjoy the fruits of citizenship without tending the tree of liberty. And I think, you know, even scarier is that now as a nation, we've not just left that tree unattended, but we're actually trying to chop it down and pull it up by the roots. Uh, And we do it by making attempts at revisionist history that belittles the sacrifices that our soldiers have made and that removes all the safe guarding boundary markers that our founding fathers left behind and that denies the evidence of their reliance on the word of God. Because, you know, if you, if you take the time to read the writings of America's early patriots, you'll see that they stress not only the need for military strength and for political safeguards, but to establish our nation was an even greater need of the laws of God and of the truth of the gospel in order to preserve it. <clears throat> and, you know, when uh, the war for independence began and George Washington was appointed general and commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, The day he actually took charge, he issued these orders. He wrote saying that all officers and soldiers not otherwise engaged in active duty were to attend divine services to implore the blessings of heaven upon the means used for their safety and defense. And you know, later when he was president, George Washington said it's impossible to govern without God and the Bible. Patrick Henry, the first governor of Virginia and a member of Continental Congress, wrote, I cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and John Adams, after signing the Declaration of Independence, said, Whether we live or die, sink or swim, succeed or fail, I stand behind this Declaration of Independence. And if God wills it, I'm ready to die in order that this country might experience freedom. And he's talking about the kind of patriotism coupled with reliance on God that led ordinary men, many of them armed with little more than hunting rifles, to engage in battle with the might of the British Empire, which at the time was the most powerful nation in the world. Uh, And that saw, just like Carolyn was talking about, many of our forefathers uh, pay the ultimate price so that you and I could be citizens of the land of the free and of the home of the brave. And you know, there are so many instances in American history where men and women have been called to sacrifice, but through it all, God has blessed America. And God has watched over Americans. And, and he sees just how far we've come since 1776. And the truth is, we've come a really long way, haven't we? Uh, not all of it good. Uh, we've eradicated the Bible and prayer from our school systems. We've removed the Ten Commandments from our courthouses. Uh, and allowed the creation of a culture that worships pretended tolerance rather than God's truth. But has it made our nation any better for it? Listen to these statistics. According to the FBI, uh, there is a murder in America every 24 minutes. There's a forcible rape every 7 minutes. Uh, Robbery every 68 seconds an aggravated assault every 51 seconds, and a violent crime every 27 seconds. And if you take those all together, that amounts to a major crime being committed every three seconds of every day in America. So I guess we're not all that tolerant of each other, are we? Now, some some folks among the cultural elite claim that uh, our high crime rate is due to a lack of education. 
But I want you to think about this for a minute. Some of the brightest minds from the nation's finest schools have become lawyers and judges and politicians who've taken it on themselves to liberate the nation from what they call the outdated morals of the Bible and the Ten Commandments. But what did they replace it with? Like, somebody guess, how, how many federal laws do you think there are? Some, somebody guess. Okay. I heard 10, 100,000, 120,000. You know what the truth is? As good as those guesses are, no one, including the government, knows for certain. That's, that's a true story because they keep accumulating. When the federal laws were codified in 1927, they fit in a single volume. By the 1980s, there were 50 volumes of more than 23,000 pages. And today, truthfully, no one knows. If you look at the Internal Revenue Service code alone without looking at any other branch, contains more than 3.4 million words. And if it were printed 60 lines to a page, would take 7,500 pages to print it all. And in a typical year, Congress passes at least 125 new laws. So you kind of have to get this straight in your mind. As a nation, we've rejected 10 perfectly benevolent commandments, commandments that a, that a child can understand and recite from memory. And to try to fill that void, we've created innumerable laws and regulations, most of which we never really know because who could read all of that? Uh, and apparently no one follows because in case you haven't noticed, our prisons are full. Uh, and the simple fact is that all the educated men in the world can't legislate morality. It has to come from a transcendent God. And it has to be received by individual hearts and put into practice by responsible people, responsible citizens who will tend the tree of liberty. And so to do that, we have to ask ourselves, is our country a better place because you and I are citizens of it? Is Zephyr Hills a better place because you and I are a part of it? Is this church a better place because you and I are members of it? Or are you and I enjoying the fruits of what those things provide and not tending the tree? Are, are we consumers without being contributors? Are we ignoring the landmarks of liberty and sacrifice? You know, in his uh, uh, prayer before the U.S. Senate, Peter Marshall, who was a Senate chaplain in 1946, prayed, Lord Jesus, thou art the way, the truth, and the life. Hear us as we pray for the truth that shall make us free and teach us that liberty is not only to be loved, but also to be lived. And help us see that our liberty is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to be pleased to do what is right. Amen to that. Huh? You know, when our forefathers came to this country, they founded a system of government, and they were convinced that there was a higher power who was involved in the destinies of men and nations. Uh, it's evident in the way they wrote and in the way that they lived and in the way that they uh, developed this nation and they believed that men and women were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and that among these were life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and, and there was a, a moral fiber a moral strength in our nation but you know today it seems like we've forgotten God and to a great extent our modern objectives have become material success and status and security and followed really closely by self-indulgence and comfort and pleasure where today our permissive society turns freedom into license, turns rights into riots, and where riches are elevated above righteousness, where the laws of science are elevated above the Creator. And we've talked about this before in Bible study, how society, especially in our schools, abandons moral absolutes 
And then we shake our heads in disbelief as those crime rates increase and order breaks down. I, I mentioned this to somebody before. I have a really dear friend uh, who finished her master's degree in psychology two years ago, and she's working toward her doctorate. And she said to me very candidly, Joe, she said, I've spent all this money and all this time, and I have all these diplomas, and the only thing that I've learned for certain from my professors is that we can't know anything for certain. Now, that's scary, right? But that's what we're filling our kids' heads with. Schools and universities that teach that truth and morals are individual and relative, and that life is just a big cosmic accident. So you can make your own truth. You can decide your own reality. You can pick your own gender. And do you see what I'm getting at? We, we've been in such a hurry as a nation to tear down anything that looked like a restriction that we've destroyed the very foundations that keep us safe. That's why uh, G.K. Chesterton warned way back in the early part of the 20th century, he said, don't ever take down a fence until you know the reason why it was put up. Right? Don't ever take down a fence until you know the reason why it was put up. And I think that's pretty sound advice. That's why Jeremiah 6.16 says, Stop at the crossroads and look around and ask for the old godly ways and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. And so we need to ask ourselves today, how sturdy are our fences? How secure are our landmarks and ancient boundaries in your life and in my life? Because, brothers and sisters, the highways of history are littered with the wreckage of people and nations that forgot about God. Uh, who, who maybe wished his word weren't true, but it is. The only trouble with that is the truths of life and the sacredness of Scripture don't change just because you don't believe that they're there. Or as, as one author said, we're free to choose our actions and our beliefs, but we are not free to choose the consequences of them. And, and those consequences can be costly in this life and in the next because remember, freedom is not free. Not your freedom as an American citizen or as a citizen of heaven and if you don't believe me, just ask a parent who's lost a child in war or a child who's lost a father or a man or woman who's lost a leg or an arm or was injured for life, uh, and they'll tell you the cost of the freedom that we enjoy. And then ask the Heavenly Father about the sacrifice of His Son, His only Son, who gave His life to purchase a freedom that we don't deserve and could have never earned. And so this weekend, I invite you to take time to remember Remember that men and women have died so that you and I can be part of a local church and gather without fear. Remember that men and women have died so that you and I can have and read a Bible in our own language. Remember that men and women have died so that we can speak openly about our faith. And remember, too, that our Lord Jesus died and gave his life to make sure we could live a life of dignity and value and freedom, not just for the few short years that we have in this world, but for eternity for the world to come, and God help us if we ignore those ancient landmarks, especially today, when our country and our people are throwing away the right to boldly speak about our faith with both hands, belittling the religious liberties that American soldiers have defended since the fledgling days of our democracy, and ignoring the fact that the freedom to worship is one of our greatest national treasures and landmarks one of the safest hedges of our protection and a sacred inheritance from our ancestors. And because that's true, as we take time today to honor all of our servicemen and women who have given their lives in the fight of freedom, you and I have to carry on that struggle. We have to carry on the struggle for the country that we love. We have to push hard against an age that's pushing back hard against us. We have to share the gospel. We have to share the good news and pass on 
the godly principles that this country was founded on to the next generation. Uh, so that we don't turn this day into just a time to memorialize the dead, but to celebrate the resurrection. And to look not just to what men and women have done in the past to give us freedom, but to ask ourselves in the light of their service and of Christ's sacrifice, what would God have you and I do today to set others free and to remind the world of what God has done for America? Amen.